Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. We had the news last week that the United States Supreme Court will look at two controversial cases related to social media regulation online. The court is going to examine Texas's HB 20 law and Florida's so-called Stop Social Media Censorship Act. Both are focused on the rights of social media platforms to remove people, especially politicians, from their platforms because of the views that they express. Both were challenged in the courts, but the courts then came to contrasting decisions. So the Supreme Court has now taken up the challenge to forge a common path ahead in this controversial element of social media regulation. And joining me today is Agoma Wankwo, Senior Associate in Global Council's Washington DC office, and she leads our coverage not only of social media regulation, but also US tech policy more broadly. So Agoma, many thanks for joining me today. Could we just start off on a pretty straightforward question? I mean, what is going on here? I've given a little taste of it there, but I'd like to get a little bit more detail. What are the Texas and Florida laws all about? And why did the Supreme Court decide to hear these two cases? Thanks, Conan. So as you mentioned, the Supreme Court has agreed to review cases that are challenging the constitutionality of similar Florida and Texas laws that really take aim at the largest social media companies and how they moderate content. And this really comes at a time in the U.S. where we're seeing increasing interest among lawmakers and the public concerning the amount of power that social media platforms have over the public discourse. And so with the 2024 elections around the corner and concerns around political misinformation, We're going to see this issue really be front and center. So it's quite timely that the Supreme Court is taking on these cases now. So the Florida law, which was passed in May of 2021, essentially prevents large social media platforms from banning political candidates and journalistic enterprises. And it also requires platforms to provide a quote unquote thorough rationale for each content moderation decision, which some could argue is quite an onerous, if not impossible task. Now, the Texas law passed only a few months after the Florida law in September of 2021 bars social media platforms with at least 50 million active users from blocking, removing, or demonetizing content based on a user's views, though it's worth noting that there are a handful of exceptions that would allow platforms to bar content that, one, incites violence, or two, involves the sexual exploitation of children. And this law also requires companies to disclose their content moderation practices. And both laws have avenues for users to file complaints. So there is a sort of redress mechanism in them. Now, both the Florida and Texas laws, unsurprisingly, were challenged by two tech lobbying groups, NetChoice and the Computer and Communications Industry Association, which represent platforms such as Meta and Google. And their claim is essentially that the laws violate the First Amendment rights of platforms to moderate and edit content on their sites, meaning that they would be forced to allow speech that violates their own policies against violent and extremist content. So why is this case now with the Supreme Court? So basically what happened was that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in the case of NetChoice versus Paxton actually upheld Texas's law, while the Eleventh Circuit in the case of NetChoice versus Moody found Florida's law to be unconstitutional on the basis that the law's provisions were very likely to violate the First Amendment rights of the platforms. And I think that this split really highlights how deeply controversial and complex interpreting the First Amendment has become, especially when it comes to 
social media companies that play such a monumental role in the public discourse. So given that there was a split in the circuit courts around these two laws, which are quite similar, it's on brand for the Supreme Court to take on such a case in an attempt to resolve this split. But there was also some added pressure from the Biden administration, actually former President Trump, for the court to take on these cases and issue decisions on at least some of the issues raised in the two cases. Uh, The cases won't be heard until next year. And in the meantime, both laws have been blocked from going into effect. So you mentioned as part of your introduction there, Gomez, that these are two Republican-led states, so Florida and Texas, and they both passed similar social media laws in 2021, only months apart. Now, you mentioned the name of President Trump there. So could you just go into, you know, was this a Trump-orientated backlash after we saw Twitter, Meta and others take him off the platform after the Capitol Hill riots? Or is there something else going on here that was a catalyst that has led Republican-led states to push such legislation? Yeah, so the the Texas and Florida laws are reactions to the power that lawmakers say social media platforms have over online political discourse with Republicans claiming that their content gets removed at higher rates uh, compared to those on the left of the political spectrum. Florida Governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott have stated that these laws are needed to keep Republican voices from being silenced. And as you mentioned, uh, you, you talked about Trump. Yes, these laws came directly in the wake of the 2020 presidential election when major platforms such as X, formerly known as Twitter, banned top conservative voices, most notably former President Trump, for violating their policies against incitement of violence related to some of his posts during the January 6th insurrection on the U.S. Capitol back in 2021. And this act by X really created an uproar among conservatives towards the more established social media platforms and their policies, which, to be quite frank, had been gradually building up over the years and was actually one of the reasons for the creation of Parler, the now uh, inactive social media site that positioned itself as unbiased and focused on free speech. So these laws were not passed in isolation. Uh, They were very much so a referendum of sorts on what was going on in the political environment at the time. You've got a similar debate that is taking place in in Europe as well. I don't think it's maybe as strong as what we've seen in the US, because obviously we didn't have the equivalent here of the 6th of January. We didn't have head of state or former head of state removed from particular social media platforms. But there is still a similar sense, I think, on the right of politics within Europe, particularly in the UK, which I know best, where they feel the platforms can often be left-leaning in how they approach some of these decisions. And in the online safety bill, we've seen an element of this whereby political content um, and political accounts do get a measure of protection from some of the content moderation obligations that platforms are going to face more broadly. What I wanted to get your view on there, Agoma, is that you talked about how the motivation here is that platforms were perceived by Republicans to be discriminating against their views and infringing on their free speech. So will the courts actually look at that particular complaint that we're hearing from the right of politics in the US? In short, no. We shouldn't expect the justices to address whether the laws 
targeted the companies because they allegedly discriminated against conservative views. Taking a step back in January of this year, actually, the Supreme Court justices asked the Biden administration for its views on if it should take on the case. And so in response, the administration agreed that the court should review the cases and the U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Preloger actually filed a brief with the court where she recommended the questions related to the cases that the court should address and which questions it should disregard. And the court actually agreed with Preloger. And so the court won't weigh in on the argument of the tech companies that the laws were put in place to target them because of their decisions regarding conservative content on their platforms. And Preloger's rationale is that both of the circuit courts rejected this argument and didn't issue a decision on it. And so there wasn't actually a split among the lower courts on that particular question. And so the cases will revolve instead around two key questions. The first is that whether provisions in the Texas and Florida laws that regulate the ability of tech companies to remove, edit, or arrange content violate the First Amendment. And the second is whether provisions that require tech companies to explain their decisions to remove or edit specific content violate the First Amendment. So even within this scope, there's still a lot at stake for the First Amendment and that editorial control that platforms have over content, making these cases certainly one to watch. So even if the court rules with Texas and Florida, I guess there's going to be potentially a feeling of unfinished business about that broader question of whether the perceived discrimination against certain voices online is is legitimate or otherwise. Now, obviously, the tech companies themselves would probably contest that characterization. But in any event, it'd be interesting, Goma, to take a little bit of a look now, you know, what we see might happen if the Supreme Court decides one way or the other. So if they uphold the the legislation in Texas, can you just talk us through that? But then also if they if they if they strike it down and they back the tech companies, what are the consequences that we should have in mind looking ahead? Yeah, so if the Supreme Court rules in a way that mostly sides with Texas and Florida, there are two scenarios that come to mind of what could happen. So first, the justices ruling could have significant implications for the future of U.S. democracy and elections, right, in the sense that Americans are increasingly relying on social media to read and discuss political news. So the content that's presented on these platforms is important to shaping and influencing the environment both online and offline. But also, it could have wide-ranging implications for policymakers in Congress and state legislatures as the attempt to craft new laws governing social media and misinformation. So, for example, we could very well see Republican-led states be emboldened to pass their own content moderation legislation, right? What tends to happen with major laws like this that are challenged at the Supreme Court level is that other states sort of wait in the wings to see what happens and then use the outcome to ultimately inform what they do. And this situation is no different, right? They could essentially pass laws that will likely mirror the laws that we're seeing in Texas and Florida. Now in Congress, it'll grant Republicans additional grounds for pursuing federal content moderation legislation, especially if Republicans also secure control of both houses of Congress and the 2024 elections. But even in more democratic states, such as California, how the court's rule will inform the types of laws and the scope of the laws that they pursue 
So California is currently facing a lawsuit that was filed by X, alleging that California's transparency law requiring social media platforms to declare content moderation practices is a violation of the company's free speech rights. So even though California's law doesn't go as far as Texas or Florida, there is some similarity when it comes to the disclosure of practices. Now, on the flip side, should the court rule on a way that sides with the tech companies, then the status, status quo pretty much remains intact for now, though this probably won't stop Republican-led states from trying to find a workaround. So it'll be very interesting to see how the court rules and where there is agreement and disagreement among the justices, because this will inform how states respond. We come to this many times ago when we talk about different elements of tech policy in the US. But it strikes me as quite interesting, that state-led dynamic again. And I guess what you're saying, that if, 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 if Texas win the case, then they could de facto be setting the standard for the rest of the states and the tech companies will find themselves in a position of either having to choose to have different rules applying to different parts of the US or indeed they will find themselves possibly just applying the rule that they comply with in Texas and Florida to the whole of the US in order to have a single compliance regime across the United States pending any federal legislation, which you pointed out is possible, but not necessarily likely in the coming years. Looking ahead, are the consequences of GOMA just siloed in the area of content moderation? Given how exercised it sounds that Republicans are about this particular issue, is there interest and is there critique of tech companies in this space spilling over into other policy questions that are currently dominating the tech agenda in the US? Yeah, that's a great question, Conan. And Sonia and I actually published a paper on this very topic recently. So you're right. The sense of persecution for their views and ideologies is animating a lot of the Republican uh, legislative efforts that we're seeing in the tech space, not only on the issue of content moderation and deplatforming, but also on the issues of things like children's online safety, the consolidation of market power, and of course, artificial intelligence. So, for example, there are some Republicans who view antitrust reform as a potential solution to their censorship challenges. So essentially, their argument is that the market dominance of major online platforms has stifled competition in the startup space and prevented conservative platforms from succeeding because the large platforms use their power to advantage their own product. So I talked about Parler earlier, the now inactive social media app often associated with conservatives. And in the days following the January 6th insurrection, it was actually removed from Apple and Google's app stores. And on top of that, Amazon terminated its web services, effectively crippling Parler's operating infrastructure. And so the general rationale of the companies was that Parler's failure to police violent content in the wake of the Je January 6th insurrection made the site a risk to public safety. But according to some Republicans, these actions actually prevented Parler from being a worthwhile competitor and showcased the amount of power these companies have over the digital landscape. So even though antitrust doesn't directly address censorship, there is an argument being made among Republicans that dominant platforms not only distort free market competition, um, but also limit the free exchange of ideas. So 
increasing market competition could serve as a long-term solution to the issue of censorship because it'll essentially enable other platforms to answer and compete in the market more effectively. To provide another example, a concern among Republicans is the potential for AI to institutionalize liberal political preferences, right? So this stems from the view that programmers intentionally or not incorporate their own values and experiences into the data and algorithms that they develop. So we've seen a push among Republicans for the creation of more conservative-leaning AI tools to balance what they view to be a liberal uh, bias in, in some of these AI systems. So as the 2024 elections approach, we need to pay attention to how these sentiments are shaping the legislative agendas of the candidates as I think that it creates a real risk for the industry, especially the largest platforms. We've seen similar arguments in the UK around the link between social media, content moderation issues and competition in the market. I believe there was a Lords Select Committee in the UK Parliament that looked into this very issue. And we've seen this with Rumble very recently, how they have refused almost to fall in line with the consensus of social media platforms in the UK because they have refused pressure from UK parliamentarians to demonetize and deplatform Russell Brand after he was accused of very serious high profile allegations and I guess if you're looking at it from the perspective of some of the some of the activists that you've just described they would probably point to that as a good thing that their role as a small incumbent insurgent has actually led to a different policy outcome rather than whether you just had the the TikToks, the Twitters, the Metas, the YouTubes of this world taking those decisions. Now, that's not to cast any uh, any judgments or aspersions at this point about the particular accusations about that individual, but clearly you can see the case that they're trying to make and how that is starting to pan out in some of these some of these cases. So Goma, thank you very much for taking us through that. We'll obviously keep a very close eye on this as we go through and as the case starts to unfold. And certainly I think we'll get you back on when we actually have a judgment. For those who've been listening today, thanks for joining us. If you're interested in this issue or other broader US tech policy issues and would like to speak to a government or colleagues, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find the link to the team details in the podcast notes, or you can look on our website, which is www global-council.com. Thanks for joining us and tune in next week. Bye-bye.